On today's episode, Dave interviews actor Mike McShane. Mike has appeared on Broadway, Who's Line in Britain, and Doctor Who. I'm Ian Foley, and this is Ian Okay, let me go But really, it's about the people that have been sitting in that chair, uh, or sit in that chair. Um, this is what I like about them. They're happy people, and they like what they're doing. You know what I mean? And that's all. Right now, that is exact. Thank you. That's exactly it. That's good. Uh huh. What do you there say was that? Time what does I that wasn't mean? happy. Well, I mean, that would that statement would preclude that. There had been a time recently, if not recently, there had been a time where I wasn't happy mm-hmm. being here in Hollywood. Right. Um, and do we, you spend a lot of time here in Hollywood? Not much. See, isn't that doesn't that open shit up for you? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, and I don't mean to cut you off. I'm just saying, for me, the moment that I realized, oh. I don't need to be in this city to be working. Yep. That helps a lot because when I come back, I mean, I had, you know, I first came here in, in 95. You know, I started working right away. I, I got in a sitcom. I did like all the, you know, a bunch of the. What sitcom did you uh, Brotherly Love with the Lawrence Brothers with Joey Lawrence right, Matt, right. and Andy. Uh-huh. Nice kids. Joey's a nice guy. I mean, he's doing, he's doing, uh, something with Melissa Joan Hart right now uh-huh. and he's got new hair and he looks great and it's fantastic and you know <laughs> he's a sweet guy and you know what he, he's one of those guys I really believe I worked with a lot of uh, star actors as kids like with Macaulay Culkin mm-hmm. Brad Renfro Jonathan Taylor Thomas you know there's one point proof that we trained with Wallace Berry of the 90s you know <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and right but it right, was like right you know then I got this thing with uh, the Jim Valley uh, produce him and Jonathan Schmock uh, ran called Broadly Love was on the Disney Channel then it went to I think it was like NBC for like the blink of an eye mm-hmm. and they got punted over to the new D- Disney Channel so you were on it throughout this whole thing uh, throughout when from 95 on I was again for two years it was a two year uh-huh. run of a sitcom right and then you know I did a bunch of like ER and uh, but you thought at Jonathan that time it's like here we go here we go yeah here I am here I'm I am. here. Yeah. Thank you, great. everybody. Thank I knew you very you were much. waiting for me, and yep. here I am, and I'm working. Which and is thank you so such much. an arrogant, oh my god, arrogant thing to do. Here. I totally understand. When I first came here, it was like I got ten commercials in the first year. Yeah. And I'm going, okay, ten commercials, and I've done the math on this on the podcast before. Where you go, ten commercials, so I will be making two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and don't have to worry. You know, <laughs> Right, exactly. Yes. I'm flush with gas and drunk with power. <laughs> exactly. People Where's want me in Hollywood. Let's buy a house. And then we did. Yeah, we did. I bought a, I lived in Claremont, so my wife was going to Scripps College, and so we bought this big, kids' language a big deal oh, here? No, no, no. A big fuck house. I usually swear. I usually swear. Right? Okay. I'm usually like three or four fucks into the word. Yes. Ben Ben just gave this great gesture. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So you bought a big fucking house. house, Yeah, with a big fucking pool and fruit trees. Right. And and I was working enough that was like okay. And Karen was going to college at Scripps, and you know, stressing out and working hard. My wife is is a genius woman in political science and women's studies, which is really really employable in Hollywood. Right. Uh, And uh, (laughs) so uh, so. uh, we were doing that, and then you know I was going to England and working, and I, I had a run of commercials there, and Whose Line, you know the the the, the afterburn of Whose Line is in any way the UK version has always been 
my, you know, let me knock on wood when I say this, right. my ace in the hole. Right. I mean, I, I still, you know, enjoy that. Uh, I enjoy get the, that. When you say enjoy that, what do you mean enjoy that? Um, like this last year, I was in Doctor Who. I was a villain in Doctor Who. Right. Oh, I, oh you're saying that they are still, you're yeah. present in who it is yeah. that they are. Yes. Yeah. Right. So I always jokingly go like in, in, in the United Kingdom, I'm a celebrity with a small C. And in Hollywood, I'm a celebrity with a silent C. So, you know, that, that helps put everything in perspective. Right, you know? right, right, right. There's a few of you Americans that are over there. Uh, what's his name? Who? Uh, David Mighty Cross Bush. is over there. Mighty Bush. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. Um, I knew you were talking about. That's so many people right, right now. I'm just, he's a friend of mine. I'm just having a brain fart. So, uh, yeah. God. You didn't smoke a lot of pot when yes, you were young. Did. You did. So do you got Bongheimers? That's a phrase. That's a word. <laughs> That's a word. <laughs> Bongheimers? You know, I got it. I mean, yeah, I just made that. was one day I was, couldn't remember something. I turned to Karen and I go, I'm sorry, I got Bongheimers. Right. That's really it. It's just, you know, who am I? Oh, you know, uh, where am I? Where am I? Why, Mike, why am I, I hungry? Did, I, I was talking to, I was talking to somebody over the weekend saying, I got high literally every single day of high school. I've been busted three times. Yes. I've been busted three times. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like, you know, the, the, it's old school bust, not like it's like, oh, no, slap on the wrist. Yep. Not nowadays bust. But yeah. Anyway. So, there's, yeah. I, there was I, some I, guy in the parking lot smoking some dank in his car, and I walked by and he gave me a look as cute. I was like, please, son, I've lost more dope than you've smoked. Really? Come on. <laughs> exactly. You know? Exactly. I can't, I, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore because I feel like it's not like just say no or any bad experience happening yeah. to me. It's just like I, I, I look around and go, you know what? I don't, I don't require that anymore to go. I uh, if I want to change the way I'm feeling, I just think differently. Yep, that's a good. That, that's one way to do it. I'm I'm about just I can't afford it. Right. It, it's expensive. Right. And um, I just it doesn't. I don't I don't feel like I want a screen right now in front of me. Right. That's um, a major thing right there. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. And, you know, if somebody needs a screen, right on. And, right. And please, you know. And there's people that thrive on it. Greg Proops. <coughs> and you know who can who can like you know do you know, gymnastics verbally while like fairly right. reeking, you know. Well, I know a lot of people like that too. Uh, there was a guy that was here. Yeah. Um, I can still smell. He was sitting in that chair and while this, while the thing's going on, he's like, do you mind if I, and I'm like, no, I don't mind. And so he was. <coughs> was he vaping? Yes. Yes. That's my the chair. New move. Going, that's wow, the new somebody's move. getting high in my apartment. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so I can't remember his name and he's there and he's in my head. Um, and he's there and gosh darn it. But he was in Chicago okay. and he was out here and he goes to, he, I mean, it's, it's a different universe in London in terms of celebrity, in terms of work, in terms of the way that the infrastructure works of TV. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's changing. Sky TV is like given, well, the BBC shot itself in the foot the last couple of years. What with a, a gentleman named Jimmy Savile, who was a much loved, uh, sort of, uh, children's uh, entertainer, more sort of a, he had a show called Jim Will Fix It, where mm -hmm. he's sort of like, you know, socially, not really socially concerned, like if you if you need your front porch fixed, you get the money to do it and then show up and you'd be there. Everybody what's celebrate. the problem with that? Uh, nothing at all, except he found out he was a pedophile. Oh, uh, oh yeah, what's this guy's name? Savile, Jimmy Savile. Yeah, Jimmy Savile. And yeah. he died and, and they're- Yeah, like, exactly. And, and, and the BBC was trying to cover it up. Well, simultaneously, and, when he died, they're doing a celebratory look at his life and then trying to bury a, an article uh, another show about, you know, that had come out. And so the BBC was like, you know, saying, yeah, 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 well, let's wait till this is done and then we'll come out with it. And it all came out simultaneously. And then, right. like, you know, they got screwed by it. And this, I think, after that, thirdly, in this witch hunt, and I don't mean that as a pejorative sense, it's just because you now, who's what? Who's doing this? Right. It appeared during that period of time. People were like, you know, I mean, there was people who were like, you know, who were bonking, like, 
18 year old girls or 16 year old girls and that compared to young children and and disabled right. children right. being oh, no. preyed on yeah no, he was preying on these people he was going a, into hospitals right he had his own room in hospitals right. where he would stay overnight and right. let's not get into detail but no, hey but right and look at that go that is dark evilness that is really twisted shit you just and no one has no country has a uh, a monopoly on dark, twisted shit. No, it's no. just that when the BBC did it, going really, you guys, come on. BBC, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, to me, when I was a kid, you know, and I was growing up. So funny been... that the kids are screaming behind us as we're <laughs> talking about the, the kids who are at the. the You're safe, TV. children. Exactly. Back off. <laughs> um, when I was a kid, you know, the BBC was the bastion of like real information. And literally, when I was a kid, I was at a ham radio. I did the same thing. with my dad. In my, dad, in, the, in my basement. Yeah. And you got yes. a crystal radio. Yes. And it was like otherworldly at four o'clock in the morning going, what's happening? And sounds that you're going, well, how did that sound happen? Where you know that sounds that you'd hear and go, where's uh-huh. that sound from? Oh, that little clicking, that yeah, little the clicking, clicking sound noises. <laughs> right, right. Do you know the band Wilco? Yes. So the band Wilco has that uh, Hotel Yankee Foxtrot. Yeah. And at the end, there's a woman going, Hotel Yankee Foxtrot Hotel. That is from Crystal Radio. That is from Ham Radio. And they found someone said, "That's my voice." I didn't give you permission <gasps> to use that. Oh no! Did they have yeah. to yank it? No, I think they, they did something a, like they they cut him a check. But they gave him a helicopter's kit and told him to fuck off. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's a Radio Shack kit Here and a go. soldering gun. It's a Tandy product. Exactly. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. So anyway, Midwest. So it's a whole Midwest thing. What is the whole Midwest thing? You're Chicago-based. Yeah. Life form. Uh, New York. Originally? Chicago, I'm Chicago. Chicago, all I'm your Chicago. life. Okay, yeah. You're Kansas? Kansas City. Yeah, Kansas City. You motherfuckers. Yeah, right? They always really, they always rub their face in it. Yeah, they're, we've got mean? bigger cows over when here. When I think about people rubbing people's faces and I just think, I always go to baseball. It's like, you got the fucking Royals and you got all that great shit that went down <laughs> with the Royal George <laughs> we Brett. We got the Royals. Stuff. You, well, you know what I mean? I, Am I yeah, wrong? I'm yeah, going yeah, way back. No, I'll go way I'm back. I'm going way back. Yeah, we had the athletics. Right. Well, now you're going way, way back. Yeah. But I, all that I have to do is say, uh, Chicago Cubs, nineteen oh eight. That's it. You know, yeah. the last time they won it, fucking that. But uh, you got out of Kansas. I got out of Kansas in the army. Right. I joined the army. See? But I ran. I, mo- I went to Chicago when I was fifteen. I ran away to Chicago when I was fifteen. I was a hippie, hippie kid and not happy at home. And I had my next door neighbors who were progressives. You know, well, not even they were liberals. And. Uh, and, uh, which is you, which is a, a rare, which is a rarity in Kansas, right? Yeah. Well, these guys were from KU and Lawrence, and they were like, right, you know, and he right. was because him and his wife were cool. Right. They grew pot, and they had me babysit their kid, and everything was. And they were really sweet to me. And years later, when I got busted and came back, you know, I went got my ass kicked to Chicago. Well, long story short, they drove me to the bus station. I get to Chicago. I get off the old Greyhound station. Yeah, yeah, downtown. By the tracks. Yeah, yeah. By the overhead tracks. Yeah, by the L. Right. And it was mm-hmm. like right. I was there. Smack dab downtown. Smack yeah. dab downtown. Yeah. My pants had been ripped because I jumped a fence to get away from my dad uh-huh. who was trying to find out where I'd run away to. And so I went into like a Woolworths. Right. And uh, two store detectives saw me and you know, I had long hair. Uh-huh. And it was like, you know, that Chicago. Hey, what are you kidding? Come here. What are right. you doing? Right. Get the hell. Get, get, get out, out of here. here. Get out of here. Yeah, Grab like me. Did the whole like, you know, zoop. Rush. 
Bums rush out the door. Bums rush out the door. Yeah, and I was like, shit. So I went over to the Greyhound station, sat down for a while, and a group of young Satanists had showed up. I go to a convention. Literally, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely, (laughs) truly, these 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 like you know four guys and two gals, and one guy had the inverted triangle with the ram's head, all Alzheimer Anton Levey, Mm -hmm. with the black lipstick, and she was looking at me like I was a snack pudding, you know, and it was like freaking me out. Snack pudding, you 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 age yourself right there. I do. Going. Snack then, then I go into a bathroom uh-huh. to go to have a slash in the bathroom, and this black dude's having a waz, and he turns around and shows me his cock, right. and is like, "Would you like some of this?" And I'm like, "I got to get out of here." So I ran around like for I slept on the street for a day, slept on the street for like a second day, then I found this newspaper called the Chicago Seed, which yeah. was an underground newspaper, yeah. Yeah. and they let me crash at their place for a night, and I was whimpering. Wow! And the guy, I can't remember his name for the I think it was I think it was Dave, very sweet guy said, "You know what?" You, you need to call your parents and go home. Fuck yeah. Go home. And so I called my mom and dad and cried. And like a nice little middle class kid, thank God, they went, get come here. We give you the bus fare back home. Because right. I was stupid, so stupid. I robbed enough money for my house to get bus fare in. And then, of course, when you get on the, on the, on the, on the bus, I had this fantasy like, well, then I have to make it myself anyway. You know, like, right. Like, Please. You're 15. Yeah. You'll buy a house in two years. I'm like Porky Patchouli, like on the bus, like trying to like figure out what I'm going to do. And it ain't going to happen. Oh, but so Chicago that. kicked my ass. Oh, I love that and city, the though. the only time I went back was when I did Richie Rich. And we had downtime because Macaulay Cogger had a growth spurt. And that's where I met you. Right. And I did Second City. And you were in this, I know it's schmoozy, I don't care, guys. He was so nice to me. Whereas some of the other guys in the troupe were like, uh-huh. it was like acting with bank managers. <laughs> and they were just very, very, and, I, and I'd realized, oh, that's right. Improv is a career in this town that you leave and go to L.A. and make it your thing. And, and the few of these people who will not be named have right. quite well. Very and well. I didn't get a lot of love from them, but you gave me, I remember we did one improv where you were on top of my yeah. back. Well, I, I, I know I've told you this story before, but when I saw, when I saw you, because, you know, I'll go, oh, that guy, he'll come join us on the improv set. And I looked at him and I want to jump on that guy's back. I didn't, I never met you. I didn't talk to you. But all I knew is we're going to do an improv set and I'm going to jump on your back. I didn't ask you if it had any kind of spinal injury. But you were up for it. And then, you remember this story, I remember holding on to that. And then years later, I moved to L.A. And I was auditioning and you were in the audience. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I hope he doesn't remember my jumping on his back. And sure you did. It and did. You, and it was a I positive experience. Yeah. But, you know, all, like, improvisation, and, and for you, having gone to London and having done, you did, did, you, did you do impro with Keith at all? Uh, yes, I did a couple of them. That was here right. through, okay. with, with Dan O'Connor when he was bringing him in. But all those, all those, working with all those people, what you realize is in order for me to, in order for me to grow, I need to open myself up to all the people that are going to be coming at me. Because if I look at that and go, that's a stranger. When I'm on stage with you, you're not a stranger. No, you can't be. When I'm in an improv scene with you, I'm not a stranger. So I'm going to make that assumption in life. And sometimes that gets in the way. Sometimes you get cock blocked and you have to go, oh, what happened? Was or, I a jerk? I, or no. I would go, I can't be as friendly with you as I want to be in the real world. And I'm not saying, you know, give a wank in the bathroom, you know, they want some of this. And but I'm just not? going, you know, to, to look at somebody and go, I, I feel a lot warmer toward you because I'm an improviser and I'm open toward all those fucking experiences coming into my life. Yeah. 
I think that's no. I think the, that's where I, that's the de facto, that's the the default system. But anyway, because also I'm a hippie right. by nature. You right. know, I mean, uh, I mean, I grew up in that. I embraced that. I mean, I have a picture of me when I was five years old, and I am actually hugging a fucking tree. Uh-huh. And I went, okay, uh-huh. I guess it's proved. I guess I went. I am that. I am that guy. Right. But um, I like that. I like the openness of it. I like that that it was it was like. It was free. It was consensual. It had the elements of jazz because I didn't play music. Right. Where you would somebody would throw you something, you would you would you would work on enhance it and leave something in it for them to do. Mm. And I liked all that. And John Stone had you do that in a narrative form right. and play on the status, which right. you know you became very aware of as you're growing up. Uh, in it, you know who's high, who's low, and here, especially in Hollywood, status is just like a really weird ladder made out of so many things, you know. It's such an interesting thing, just the idea of status, because I need I need to give you, I need to look at you and say that you have status, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not something that, I need to look at you and know that you have status. Mm-hmm. And if I give you status, I have to deal with that fact that I gave you status, and what does that mean? So if I give you high status, that means I give myself low status, right? And if I give myself low status, then I then we're, we're about to have a weird conversation right now. Yeah. We're not going to be... I'm, I'm not going to be relating to you as if we're equals. Right. Now, granted, you might be able to give me uh, opportunities or to open doors for me. But at the same time, if you don't, you don't. No, that's true. And it shuts down that way. And right. You, and you, you feel it's like, you know, I've worked with people who have now gone on to bigger things. And a majority of them uh, are quite nice and quite kind. And especially in Britain. In Britain, there's no, I think one of the problems here, I mean, in Britain, they've been doing showbiz since somebody picked up a liar and said, here's a little song about Beowulf. Hit it, boys. You know? And it's, it's, that's cool. Right. Here we have what I call executive show business. Mm-hmm. So you're in the trenches. You start making people millions of dollars because you are talented and you are good. And you're in a hit. And that hit grows off of a hit. And the audiences want you. And all of a sudden, you're golfing with executives who say, don't think like those. You're not like those people anymore. You're different. Here's my, here's my greengrocer. Here's my... Here, Here's my physician. Here's mm. my dentist. And mm-hmm. you're getting culcated into that thing. Right. And pretty soon you get un- you get uncomfortable, which is that, you know, Aravist sort of position of like, well, hi. Oh, God. What do I say to him? Right. Let me say hello. Hi. Right. Say hi to me. Right. Say hi to me. Don't worry that, you know, it's not like something from the movie. Hey, hey, Shetty, it's me. It's Brownie. Remember, I, uh, I we used to do improv together. Yeah, I don't got any legs, but hey, you want to get some shoes anyway for my hands? You know, it's like, fuck off with that shit. Right. You know? That doesn't happen. But people are fearful that it might. Because underneath everything, we're just a bunch of fucking actors. And we're a bunch of fucking fearful, pe- feared, fearful people. Yeah. And that, I think, stops so much forward action in terms of somebody unfolding and furling evolving into the artist that they were placed on this planet to be, which everyone has an opportunity to do that. I'm sorry, but everyone does. I'm not sorry. I'm no, very no, that's right that. on, man. The idea to say whatever it is that you're going to be doing, you were here to celebrate that. And if you're holding back in a fearfulness in that moment, if you're taking a, fear, a fearful position, how can you move forward? So when I give you status, I am going, this person needs to be feared. And the less I know about you, the better off I'm going to be. Right. Because I don't need to, because your history is just historically something that happened to you. You're not better than me. You're not worse than me. You are me. 
generally speaking, you would think either the opposite would be true in the United Kingdom, where we, we talk about you know royalty and aristocracy, and as Americans, we like to mock that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Years ago, I was at Edinburgh uh, at a bar, and this guy strolled up, and he's very plummy, uh, you know, with the with the big vowels, and he had like the coat with the patches, mm -hmm. and it, whose line it just broke, and he right. was very like you know, well, I see you on the show, you're quite funny, and really enjoyed what you're doing. Uh, where are you from originally? And I go from the Midwest. Ah, oh, the Great Midwest. Ah, oh, lovely. And it was a nice guy he bought me a drink had a chat I walked off and my then manager went oh my god you know who that is and I'm like oh he goes that's Ned Sharon he's the guy that like directed Beyond the Fringe ah! and so you know he and then he looked me up later he goes would you like to be on my show the single Loose Ends and so I sat and did like three or four of them and if I'd known who he was, I would have done. I would have done a Gleason. I'd be happy to hear, but I'm be happy. You know, uh -huh, I would have gone all uh -huh, through that. Uh -huh. But I didn't know who he was. Right. And, and the status was: here's this guy who's saying nice things and being kind and being uh, engaging me. Mm -hmm. And it's only right that I engage this man. And right. It's to be an interesting experience. Blah blah blah. You know. No, but I, I, that's it. Where you were able to just relate to somebody on a human basis, and, able, and and when you relate to me on a human basis, I'm able to see who it is that you are and to be excited about it. Because I can tell when somebody talks to me, and you can probably tell as well when somebody talks to you, and they're they're ta they're not talking to you. They're talking to this image they have of you. Yep. And when they're talking, this image they have of you, what they're going is they're, they're thinking this uh, that that Mike has done this show and that show and this show and that show, and I'm talking to the guy that's done this show and that show and this show and that show. But you're also talking to the guy who's at, with you right now, having a cup of coffee or a donut muffin, you know, whatever it's going to be, <laughs> right. to engage in that. That's who I am right now. That no, that's that's a very, I I. I hope now in my, in my dotage, mm -hmm. I can hold on to more of that because after things dried up for me a little. I started to get real fearful. And I, to be honest, the first time I ever said this on, on a recording, I turned into a schmuck after I did not get into the American Who's line. I let that niggle at me and completely blow, I blew it in front of a couple of people who did not deserve to be yelled at about it. Did and you I talk think, to them later? Uh, I, I tried to, I did, I sent a couple of letters right. to, to the management. I don't know if they got them, and I hope they did, and I hope they know that I was an idiot. You did what you could do. I did what I could do, so I, I got to leave a B now. Right, and Because I'll it. get Catholic because, about it, you know. Well, the thing is that, you might go, so, no, <laughs> but the, the idea that you go, that you were motivated, compelled to write this letter. You were compelled fear. to take. I was living in fear. But then. And the moment that you go, I'm no longer living, where you go, the fear right now has driven me, because fear is a great motivator. Oh, yeah. The fear that has driven me to go, what do I need to do in order to release this, is to take advantage of that right. opportunity to go, I'm sorry, I fucked up. I'm writing you a letter. This is it. And this is all that I can do to make that okay. And if anybody's listening to this and they have something where they're going, um, I really shouldn't do that. I really could do that. Know that there's going to come a moment, if you allow it, for you to have a corrective experience and for you to change that. Right on. I think it's a good thing to do. I mean, it, you know, it may not, I mean, there's that old showbiz rule, you know, always forgive, never forget. And I think that that, that allows, and if somebody was a schmuck to you, you, you got to let it go. Because in the great chain of being that is Hollywood, you may run into that person down or up or across. They may be right for a project. And you have said, so it becomes purely functional. But the next step would be nice to go, you know what? Who cares? I also think that it, it, yes, it's Hollywood that, that you get you, that you think all those things, but it's also at pavilions, at the supermarket here. Oh, it is because pavilions. I go to pavilions and there's a, there. Oh man, I went 
Mike, I went off on a clerk over there. I went on off on a fucking grocery clerk over there, and I feel horrible about it. I mean, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I was sober. I don't know what. I just went like, really? Are you doing, really? You're doing yeah. this? And I was like, ugh. And why did I do that? Because I got to see her every fucking day at Pavilions. I'm not going to go shop at John's now because I yelled at the Pavilions clerk. I've got to deal with, you know what I mean? i got to go to Pavilions. It's three blocks from here. <laughs> going and down, down market your grocery shopping because of shame. Exactly. Like and it wouldn't be the first time aisle. I would do that. Oh, exactly. right. I can't. Oh, but, oh but, they're missing the vegetables. I'll just stick my head in there. Exactly. Oh, I feel There's better. There's the vegetable uh, clerk. I yelled uh, at about bananas Hey, you. Exactly. 13 items or less. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, right, right. And look at that go. So it's not just Hollywood. Hollywood is certainly part of it because it has to do with our livelihood and all that kind of stuff. You know, be, be nice to the people on the way up because you don't need you know, right. you're going to be going down, renting, whatever that's yeah. going to be. But it's about life in general and looking at it saying, I was really, I was a douchebag to that person. I was an absolute douchebag to that person. And to write a letter for it is, it's brave, but it's something that you had to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad I did it. I mean, you know, some down the line I'll run into him, and I hope it'll be cool. You know, you did but what Karen, you could. Karen, my wife, God, she was—I was so above it. One time she went because we were planning. You know, when you get to this, or you start to plan your funeral, uh-huh. you, you plan your expenses. Will you be cremated? Will you all that sort of stuff? Right. And she said, "Do you want a tombstone?" You know, and I go, "You know, not really. I mean, I, you know, in a way, I'd like to be." You know, memorialized next to you or next to my mom and dad. My parents are buried in uh, in Leavenworth because I come from a military family. Uh-huh. And uh, so I thought, I don't know. And she goes, how about the tombstone? I go, I don't know. And I go, she's like pitching a tombstone. And I'm like, what's going on? She goes, because perhaps you could have really what's been very important to you didn't get on the American Who's Line. Anyway. And I was like, ow, ow, baby. Slap me. Into, slap me a love. Um, you know, but yeah. that's, my wife's a great... Because I'm a big, you know, I'm the Pillsbury Doughboy of hate, and she's a great deleavening agent for me. To have those kind of people in our lives, the people that, that, that make you stop and go, wow, you're living your life as if you're living your life, you're a model to me. Like, to, to have somebody that in our lives and to say, you're a model to me, you're a model of grace. I have a, I have yeah. a dear friend who's just a model of grace, and I, I, I think about her a lot, of like, what, in this situation, what is that model of grace? What is the feeling of grace? Oh, she done. She brings it to me, and you know, after twenty odd years, it's still it's still cool that she's even like still hanging in with me. You know, it's but so it's inspiring. Cool. It is. It's and it's really functional. I think sometimes the, the functionality of life. Once I get once I start screaming about it, the functionality brings grace. That it has to happen. It must occur this way. This is finished in this way, and you must learn to enjoy what it is. And so in that you you yield some other benefit. If you keep changing up all the time, like changing you know, up, what does that mean? Changing, changing up? up like, oh, you know, I got divorced and I married a younger chick who understands me until I'm older and she doesn't get tired she gets tired of me and she leaves. Then I do this and I run from post to post and, and my life is this like daisy chain of fuckedness. Right. And then you end up in an old folks. That's your, home, that's you your book, Daisy Chain of Fuckedness. That's your <laughs> autobiography, right? That's on your tombstone. <laughs> there it is, Daisy Chain. The Daisy Chain of Fuckedness ends here. Um no, but I understand, like that feeling of grace, the idea of this is the acceptance that you have. This yeah. is just the way that it is. And when we accept those sort of things, because I didn't understand grace until maybe three years ago, the, the concept of grace, yeah. the idea of living with the thisness and being and letting the thisness be this that we have right now. And all that comes from the okayness of the moment here. Yeah. And to be at peace with that. And that peacefulness brings that peacefulness brings peacefulness. 
It does. It brings it brings you know whatever whatever that settling in yourself is, um, which I've I have sorely uh, I've had many times have held on to and let go, and then have used my earlier life you know when I was a kid and when I was a kid I was put into a, a mental hospital. Uh-huh. I was like a bit of a you know, house robbing and doing shit like that, and then I got you, to find I, the I, guy. I, I, you, I read a biography about you, and you were you were adopted. I was adopted. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was very lucky. I was adopted. I was an only kid. I enjoyed the pleasures of that. My parents were actually really good people. They were of another time. My dad was born in 1910, mm-hmm. so it was a whole different sort of worldview. Um, and sometimes we didn't understand each other because the culture was shifting and moving so fast. You were, he was 45 when you came. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He adopted or when, when you he was were 40. born. Yeah, when he, when he was, yeah, in 55. Yeah, he was 45. And when he met you, out how old was he when he met you? He was, well, 40, 45. I was adopted when I was three weeks old. Okay, great. Okay, my, my blood mother was a Métis Indian, French-Canadian in Chippewa, and Deb was a, a ship of the night. And then the McShanes, who were Midwesterners, well, Minnesota and Kansas. Uh-huh. Uh, my, my dad, my mom, he was in a prisoner of war camp in Kansas. He was uh, the quartermaster there handling uh, uh, Rommel's Africa Corps. Got it. You know, all the Stupagagen you can have, you know. Jeez, all those people were shipped to Kansas? Yes, yes. All those it's, Germans were shipped to Kansas? Except for Rommel, you know, because since he was a celebrity, I think he stayed on the East Coast. So or stayed in Europe. Did you know? Rommel stay in prison? You know, I don't. I think he did. I'm not sure. All I know is the majority of them, the enlisted men all came to Kansas and a number of the officers. My dad always found it amusing because the enlisted men were like, well, it's over. Okay, let's relax. And the war's done. The officers right. literally got off the trains looking at the American soldiers going, soon you will be working for us. You know, and the Midwest was like, yeah, that's right, pal. Enjoy yourself, Fritz. Right. <laughs> and uh, So you did You did some time. And how old were you when you were at? Uh, 15. After, after Chicago. Right. After I ran away to Chicago, my parents went, this has got to stop. Right. You've, you've done that. You've robbed houses. Right. You punched a kid and shoved him out of a third-story window. Right. You've, you, you've held a knife to us. Hmm, problems. And so I was just awesome. a wild child. I awesome. was a big, fat, freaky thing. Right. You know? And I went to Osawatomie, Kansas. Uh-huh. And it was a mental hospital, state mental hospital. Because my parents, in their wisdom, truly, tried to figure out what is wrong with him. And so we went to all these different psychiatrists, which was expensive. Right. And finally, we went to one who was like an Allen Ginsberg-looking dude who sat cross-legged on a stool. And he was the one who said, you know, you know, as the McShanes, you really ought to think of the gestalt of the entire family. You know, not just you, Michael, but Ken, Ruby. You know, maybe you all have a part in it. And that was, we went out, my dad's like, fuck that noise. That fucking Jew bastard isn't going to fucking tell me about <laughs> Queer Jew bastard. Exactly. Sitting cross like on a stool. You know how hard that is? Exactly. What the fuck I'm, was I'm it? Al- like fucking Alice music. in Wonderland? You yeah, know? right. Yeah, you right, know? right. And boy, Hookah <laughs> blowing. He uh, was, that was it. Ruby McShane was your mom's name? Ruby Stafford and then McShane. Ruby McShane. Ruby. Which yeah. I think is the title of a Grateful Dead song. It, you know, it could be. Um, there was so that song that, oh, Ruby, don't take it up the town. Right, right. Mom yeah, was yeah. a, she was a farm oh, girl was from Northern Ruby, Kansas. Ruby, don't take it. Was that, what's his name? Uh, uh, it was, um, Dimension? Uh, no, it was a, it was a country not, song. It was uh, yeah, but it was done. Now again, another name yeah, that people are yeah. gonna go. This is that. Um, uh, 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 you know when to fold him, know when to hold him. That guy. Oh, you gotta know when to hold. Kenny Loggins. Yeah, no, Kenny no, no. Rogers. Kenny Rogers. Kenny yeah, Rogers. I think, I think, I think Kenny been. Rogers did. Ruby, don't take your love. There was a guy. Oh, Michael Nesbitt did a cover of it. Really? And, or he did the version. 
I just think he's interesting because you know the, the the monkeys are back and Davy Jones is gone. Yeah. And they would never get together. And now right. they got together. So you got Mickey, who's had you know a career in the UK, who's worked up in the UK. An amazing VO career, just yeah. like you have. Yeah. Well, so, until, oh, until really recently, good. but yeah. But any, and then Peter Tork was like real chill, and it's like Nesmith's the ones always. He was like the one who never seemed happy that he had to do this again. And he didn't because he's like wealthy. His mom invented whiteout. Yeah, something like his grandmother yeah. was yeah, so, like, right. so he's like immensely wealthy. Right. And, and you always see the shots and he's the one who has to like do his own compositions and he has to do like five minute introductions of what he was thinking or eating while he's doing the song. And you're like, oh, really? That's you're just bumming you me out. Because I don't look at it that way at all. <laughs> I look at it as he's the one guy that did things his way. And he didn't need to do those other things. Um, and he was able to go, he was the artist of it but all. But because of Whiteout. Because he was independently wealthy. But the I Beatles didn't make, I mean, the Beatles the money didn't it. make him wealthy. But if you were independently wealthy, that doesn't say that you know how to write a song. That just says you, while you're fucking up writing fucked up songs, somebody's paying your rent. You're right. Yeah, you're you right. Know? Ultimately, I shouldn't hate somebody for being rich. You know? no, 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 you shouldn't. No. And I get like that. I get like that. You should sometimes. hate someone for killing six million Jews. This is true. There's got a problem there. And no, he made a for tiny me, that's song it. Like, of okay, that. all right, all right. Did this person, all right, I hate that person. You hate that person? All right, my standard is, did they kill six million Jews? And you go, no. And you go, well, that's my standard. I don't know what your standard of hate <laughs> the is. Hitler, my standard of hate Hitler is, Hitler did they kill? Right. Well, you got to have a standard, yeah. right? Yeah. And you go, okay, fine, what's my standard of hate? They don't like country music? Really? That's but for true. me, it's did they kill six million Jews? That's true. That's true. exactly. <laughs> you know, no point taken. Absolutely, I've point never taken. really put it that way, but I really like the way that I, I that would, sounds. I, I'm going to use. I'm going to use the Rosowski test on a lot of things when I'm <laughs> right. in traffic. I hate you it. dirty motherfucker! I hate. No, no, not really. No, right. right. Not unless you got like a white supremacy haircut and like you know. And killed six million, million Jews. Jews. Yeah. And I will say five if, million and counting on your bumper sticker, then you deserve. You I deserve. would. I would say you're hate adjacent. If you're like exactly. five million, I killed five million Jews. Like, dude, you got yeah. I, and and you know what? Those last million go quickly. Before you know it. <laughs> Before you know, you know it, it, you're going. Oh, I got to throw you in the Hitler category. God damn it! <laughs> God box. damn it! In the Hitler box. I got to throw you in the Hitler box. You head over to the Hitler box. Can <laughs> <laughs> we get some drinks down here? No. No. <laughs> no. When I was 15, 16, my folks found me, found a pipe in my pocket, a, a pot pipe. Because I was a big doper and I sold pot in, in high school, and they found pot in my pi- my pocket. I don't know if I've ever told this story uh, on on the podcast, but what they did was this really cool thing. My dad, I was supposed to teach because I was teaching Hebrew school and selling dope. I was like, I was one of those wow crazy. So I was volunteering at Temple Shalom in Chicago, and they found dope on me on a Saturday night. I had to teach class on Sunday, so my dad said, "Do not go to work tomorrow. Go into the front room in the morning, and I got some people coming over." In Chicago, there was this unmarked cop cars had ZA license plates, so it's ZA, yeah. whatever the four other four numbers, and they were always in Palace, Four Door and Palace. Four Door and Palace comes, pulls up in front of my house. Four narcs dressed in the fucking trench coats, right out of Central Casting, come into my house. My dad called the cops on me. Called not just cops, narcs into my house. They opened the Holy door. Shit. They all stood at the door, like standing, like on tour at the door, like I'm gonna bolt. Or yeah, something. yeah, exactly. And they had hands in their pockets going, what's up with the hands in the pockets? And they all, the one guy sat on the, on, on the couch arm with me and goes, and yeah. said, what do you want to do? We have a choice here. What do you want to do? What can we do? Because, you know, we got, a, we, got a, we got a list of names here. What do you want, what do you want us to do? we got your friends here. Because we could do this right now or we can do it later. We can arrest you now or we can arrest you later. Because you're fine. And, and they helped. My dad gave me a little pipe. 
And I went, uh, whatever needs to be done. And uh, that day, they, 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 I had to go to counseling, which I've done a lot. I had to go to counseling. I'm 21. Like six years later, I'm at a party of my, friend, my parents' friends who smoke pot. Right. And a guy hands me a joint, and it's my dad handing me a joint. And he's like, wow. So we're at this party. My dad's, you know. So it's crazy. And Whoa. My dad, and then my dad says this. Do you remember when you were 15 and those cops came over to the house? And I went, yeah. He said, that was a borrowed cop car. Those four cops were actually electrician friends of mine. And they borrowed trench coats. And they came over to the house. It was the smartest thing I've ever done. He'd staged a scene to straighten you out. Yeah. And that's why you got into the theater. <laughs> I got into the theater before that. Yeah, that was, exactly. The theater got me in trouble. That's where like, you went. That's where I saw That really thing. worked. I've got to get that <laughs> feeling. He totally improvised that. Coordinates. <laughs> exactly. And coming out the street, pulls out in front of the house and go. Exactly. Crazy, right? But when you're that age... You and especially, I think, I, I, and for me, I, you know, my folks. The were gullibility great. of guilt, because you were like, "Oh my god!" And then, well, I'm just saying, also the acting out. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, acting yeah. Out of, of that, so that they have to, they're, they're, and and to, for parents to be at wit's end, going, "I don't know what the fuck we're going to do." They had to suppress here. that somehow. What's that? They had to suppress it, or he had to make you confront it. Well, they had to make me confront it. They had to confront it with the, the gestalt of it all. You know that yeah. sort of thing. Like, what is it that we all have to do? And to be honest with you, I mean, it cha- it changed my life. That that action changed my right. life, and it didn't it didn't scare me straight. I think the next day I went over to a friend's house and did quaaludes and got naked. But like it didn't scare me straight. But what it did was it go, oh okay, fine, and it also gave me a really great story. Um, but that's yeah. I mean, in the same way, my parents put me in to help me. So right. I did six six seven months in a mental hospital. Right. Where they tried first first month they try all these different drugs on you, which is always kind of weird because you, basically you're a lab rat. And uh, right. they uh, part it was called the adolescent unit, and so it was between like twelve and seventeen years old. And you had guys with Down syndrome in there, uh-huh. and, and and people. Where the, had, the, the treatment isn't going to work. Well, no, exactly. It was All just right. a basic because it was the seventies. It was like right. late sixties, seventies. Mm-hmm. So you know, mental health care in the Midwest being what it is then, maybe it's better now. Shock treatment, all right. that kind of stuff. Drug right. therapy. If you acted at one time, we drum therapy. Yes, drum therapy. You say drum yes, therapy. Or drug drum therapy. therapy. They put you in a box and stretch a skin over you really and play Gene Krupa really? for two hours. Oh, um, yeah, no, right? No, no right. drug therapy uh-huh. where they test uh, they test all these drugs on you. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember the one thing. The first week I was there, they had me on this stuff, and we went for a walk through the grounds. And we had people who were who had uh, neural conditions, so they walked with a with a hitch and were twisted up. They were twisted up. Well, one of these were the drugs they gave me. This particular made me basically do the same thing. My hands started cramping, and my legs started cramping, and I fell over. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, I'm in hell. I can't move. It's painful. You and know, you're 15? I'm 15. And the, or, the attendant, the aide, is looking at me, and he thinks what I'm doing is making fun of the kids. So I'm on the ground, and he's soft-kicking me, going, you think that's funny? You think that? Jesus you think Christ. it's funny, you fat clown? Right. You think it? And I'm like, just, man. You know, I really was like, please, somebody just put, How did put one in me now. Right. Put one in me now, So man. what happened? What turned it around? Uh, nothing, really, except uh, I learned how to pretend I was okay. I, you know, I went to the therapy and I'm a good actor in that sense where I was like, said the right things after six months because they said you'll be here for six, seven months. I was there for six months and then uh, this guy brought some pot to the, to the ward 
And me and this other guy, this guy who brought it, was like, great, so we had this little joint. And we were like trustees by that point. We could leave and walk around the grounds. So we'll go on the grounds, we'll have a little puff, we'll come back. And one of the guys who was there found out we had it. And he said, can we come along? And he was a jerk. And we said no. And so when we went out to do it, he ratted us out. And we came back. And the orderlies were waiting for us with the guy standing. He was so stupid, standing right there, like, smiling at us, like, yeah. And so me and this other guy just went, fuck you. And we just punched the fuck out of him. We got two or three kicks and hits in right. before they grabbed us, hit us full of Thorazine in the ass, and then threw us in solitary for, like, a couple of days. And when they hit you with the Thorazine, it really burns going in. Right. Milky white stuff that goes in your right, ass. Right, right, right. And in it's your like, ass. They can put it anywhere, ass. but they're putting it in your ass. ass. It's like, it's whoa. Like, and so right, I started, right. like, acting out. Like I was, you know, those nature things are like where they've hit an elephant with a dart. And I'm like, yeah. I was like clawing the inside of the room, Slowly. making the making the noise and turning in circles and like you know, and then poof, three days later you wake up and you're like, God, I'm really. You dry. said something really interesting. Well, I mean, all all of it's very interesting. But one of the things was you you said that you said you said that you said to them what it was that they wanted to hear. Yeah, I just used, you know, I've been wrong. Could it have been that you said what it is, that that you started buying into what it was that they were saying not to be, because you understood what it was that they were saying and why they were saying what it was that they were saying. Yes. And so at that moment, it wasn't you pretending, because if you were pretending, they would know that. So it wasn't you saying what it was. It was you starting to believe what it was that you we're feeling. That's a good point. No, I think because I'm always and and still am one of my problems. I am arrogant. And I thought if I could pull this over on them, well, you believe it. Right. You you believe it. At the same time, there's like the little guy in the back room going, yeah, right. Well, that's your ego, right? That's your ego. That's your ego in the back saying, you know, don't do that. Oh, my God, they win. But really, at the end of the day. There's good advice, some of it. What do you mean? What they told me is how to, basically cognitive therapy. Think about what you're doing. Take a beat before you do something. Right. Because I was highly impulsive and still am. And and of course found, and then luckily to some degree found a performance genre that embraced your impulsive nature. Absolutely. Because what it, who it, yes, that you found, you you heard the music, but you just needed somebody to, to, to say, now sing it. Yeah, yeah. And so that was that was San Francisco, and that was Proops and Brian Lohman and Reed Rollman, guys I went to school with, who were in an improv group, and they asked me to join up. Right, right. And, you know, so I never got the bug to do it right away. But you're also, but you're also an actor, though. Actory actor, yeah. Yeah, you're an actory actor, and your background and my background, I, you know, it's it's different, but it's actory actor background as right. opposed to uh, improviser improviser or, or straight through the comedy shoot exactly yeah, right comedy club shoot. right right and there are some people that go straight through the comedy shoot and and, and then want to be actory actors and it's just an adjustment they yeah. can do it oh yeah but i believe that your experience my experience uh your experience my experience um uh brian loman's experience like those right. people's experience uh, of improvising at this level that at, at this level and i'm not saying it in a pejorative in, in any pejorative sense it's just like right. the level that we improvise at is because we have that actor background we end up doing long-form narratives and stuff or genre-based stuff like um which isn't new the annoyance theater i guess was doing it for a long time doing improvised uh genre based off of literature or playwrights and stuff I they, were, they, were, they were doing some of that there were other yeah. people doing that as well right but it was great uh so yeah that was a nice place because after working over the over the base of a playwright and trying to call out of it 
the themes, the language sets, the types, you know, the archetypes, for lack of a better word, that occupy their worlds, like Tennessee Williams. Right. Something like that, without being parodic or satirical right. and trying to give your best shot within that with a long-form narrative, I find that a great challenge. Whose Line has been great, but there's bigger fish. Right. More right. delicious fish. You know what? Right. Right. And that's. And I know that you're not coming from that going, fuck them, I don't need it. No, no, no. It's just no, no, no. different. And and uh, it's just different. I yeah. get it. I yeah. get it. And the great thing about the great thing about uh, what short form and long form and all that bullshit that goes on is every each of those genres feeds into the other genre. Each of those skill sets fits, fits into the other skill yeah. set. And going back to the skill sets that we're raised with, that we're born with, that who it is that we are, like all the mishigas that you were going, the craziness that you were going through in your skull, that led you to yeah. Do theater where you can act out in a way yeah. that is fantasy. Yeah. And so it taps into a soul need that you have of going, I don't want to be me for a little bit of time. And then to go, I, I can go anywhere with this. No, and it gives you, it's a, it's a great gift and a great allowance. And if you don't confuse it with the reality after everything's over, you're in very good shape. And uh, That's a huge thing of, of the reality after everything's yeah, over. Yeah, because it is. Or you know, going into it thinking, oh, there's a reality here that I have, there is no fucking reality. No, there's, no, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, an, there's an ethics to the honesty of the approach of, of representing life. Yes. Especially after group theater and after the method, all that kind of stuff. Right. But it's still, it's still truncated. It's, it's, it's made to get a message across that you take out with you, just like reading a good book, and you know, or like Shakespeare says, lies like truth. You know, right. that beautiful right. little thing. You know that. Right. And uh, I mean, Greg was very clear about that. He goes, you know, it's just Who a was? movie. Proofs. One day uh. we were going, I was going off about something. He was like, dude, it's a movie. It's supposed. It's not. It's supposed to be the best thing of life. You walk out feeling life's that good, and then of course another asshole gets in the way, and you're right. like, that's <laughs> life. Right. That's life. Or it's banal, and it's long, or there's those times I wish something would happen, and right. it doesn't happen like it does. In the movie, um, I took a really long car ride yesterday. Um, a really, really long car ride. I took a long car ride, and during that car ride, you could go. I could say, "Oh my God, the '99 is just so goddamn boring. It's just one farm after another farm right. after another farm after another farm." But there is something happening every step, every inch of that highway. Someone put something there. There right. is something that happens every step of the way, and we get to be present to all that. You know, because when you're saying, I'm bored, it's like, really? You're bored? You're really bored? What does that mean that you're bored? You're agitated. You're, un you're unfulfilled. You're, you're waiting for something, and you don't know what it is. But there is something that's happening right at that moment. And that's where you get to pick that fruit. Exactly. And, the, and it's all low-hanging fruit. All of it is low-hanging yeah. fruit. You want to pick it now. You want, if you're bored right now, take a look at something and just think about that. Those speakers right there, the Alltech Lansing speakers, like, what, what the fuck? Like that design? Someone yeah. had that design? Yeah. What a great design. It's great. It looks like a sound Dalek. Yes. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Right. And they're really good. But, but at the same sweet. time, if I want to go, oh, there's nothing to do here. It's like, dude, get out of that brain. Get out of that, that circle that you're in, that, 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 um, that vortex, that spinning vortex of boredom. Because yeah. you just got to pull yourself out of it. And when you improvise, if you want to go, this scene's going nowhere, you're not here. Yeah. That's that's especially in improvs when you feel that you're on the enough. You've been in what you know. It's not like you don't. Have, it's just you feel that you're treading water, and also you feel like the audience like shifting their butt cheeks, and, right? And you're like, I. But then you can't just entertain. No. Uh, because you've moment, gone that far in. But you get at that moment you get to be honest. Yeah. And and that's what everybody's waiting for. They're waiting for your honesty because they're watching you look around, going, "When the fuck is something going to happen?" And they're looking at you, saying, "Tell me what's happening right now." Right. Yeah. 
without being fair. You know, you know Lee Simpson from from the UK. He no. works for the Improbable Theater Company. Uh -oh. Him and these other guys design and device theater. Uh, Adam's Family, the show, they design a lot of the uh, the, the visual for that. Uh, they do these events. They're fantastic. Lee's a great improviser. He works in what you would call club prov. He works for the Comedy Store Players. Mm -hmm. Yet he's designed like the the Tiger Lilies, Shockheaded Peter, this uh, musical. Uh, it was a fantastic guy. I will I will check that out. He's a great guy. But one of his things about improv is like, okay, here what's more interesting? Lights up. There's a deer on the stage. It's been dressed. There's blood all over the place. You're covered in a blood spattered apron. The, and you're like, whoa! You know, it's a big first image. Lights out. Next image lights up. A guy in the center of the stage, facing stage left, with a handful of grain. And from stage left, a little deer's head is out, and the deer's like looking, going, "What do you want to, you know?" So what's more interesting? The latter. Right. You don't know what the deer is going to do, right. and it's a live, you know, all those things, the elements of the unknown and the wild, and your offer of that grain, and that that is more compelling. The other thing is arresting visually, and then done. Right. It's over. Right. And that's an acting. I try to make. I try to think of that image when I work. Can I do the things that will prolong and enhance and suspend uh, with the audience so they're there with that? I can say outrageous shit and jump around, and I do. And sometimes I will, and sometimes that works. And you know, a big fat sweaty ball of imagination. Right. But not just because I'm getting older, but I'd like to like detail and craft. I admire young improvisers who can do the detail and the craft right away and sit and wait for it like they're fishing. But you've got to t you've got to expose those people to the concept of duration and yeah. uh, and and and. Um, uh, and uh, tension and dynamics, like all those things, that you reaching toward, it's what Hitchcock said, it's not the shot that goes off, it's you waiting for the shot that goes off. Yep. And it's the same thing with standing with the grain in your hand. You know, that my favorite, and I mentioned it before, my favorite day of the year is not my birthday, it's the day before my birthday. <laughs> you know, then it's like, tomorrow is my birthday. Yeah. And it's not gonna be tomorrow's my birthday for another year. Yeah. You know? No, that's suspension. I mean, the best. I, I have a friend who's a dominatrix, and she. And, and I'm not into that necessarily. But one, I asked her about the psychology. You're, you're not into it necessarily. You're into it because you need to be into it. I mean, because I need to be. Because I need to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not I mean, I mean, I'm not into it necessarily. It's I need, not that I ne necessarily need I like it. 1940s phone cable wrapped around my so I look like the Michelin man. And don't try to pass off the 1951 pan. bullshit that looks yeah. like retro 1940s Exactly. It's phone not cable. the real Fuck thing. You. Exactly. I know what the ending of that looks Thank like. Thank you, David. Right. Keep going. But the dominatrix. It's the anticipation. Right. So she has clients that she calls up days before they have their thing and says, Oh, you're going to get it. Right. And literally, that's like, then, you know, the customer's like, no. And they're off having a, a fat fest, you know. I really wonder if she also, like, when they call up, if she's really into the duration of going, I'm not going to call them back. I'm not, I'm not going to call them back right now. I'm not going to call them no, back. No, but she I'm won't. I'm going to start so, the teasing. Yeah. Like, they call you, and they're like, exactly. I, I, call me right back. Like, so, yeah. that's, so it's like, that's kind of like, I get the best thing because you have an agent in Hollywood. Because you call them and you wait and you wait and wait and the anticipation is there. And around 8.30 p.m. because you're on the bottom of the list, like, yeah, what do you want? Yeah, that's a great idea. But they got somebody who's much bigger than you. That's fine. But you know what? No, I understand why. That's great. That was nice. Right. <sighs> Thank you. They, they called me back. They called <laughs> me, me back. back. They called me back. They said no, but they called me, me back. back. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. But it's, uh, again, I love, I, like, that whole thing uh, about the waiting and the duration, the patience of all that. Um, because I did a show last night with uh, 
uh, called Cherry Pick or Cherry something like that. And it's all these teachers, and they pick names of students on the hat, and these students get to play with these teachers, really good improvisers. Wow. And I'm watching these people just blather shit out, and I want to grab them, and I do. I grab them by the hands, and I say this. Shut up. You have to stop talking right now. It's not as bad as you think. Just stop talking right now. And that's my character talking. Taking, yeah. But it's the teacher going, stop it. Just be here right now with me and just stop it. And sometimes they listen and sometimes they don't. Everybody in the audience knows that I'm talking to them on a level of teacher through character. Right. And whether they get it or not, doesn't matter. Because the honesty of that moment is all that matters. And that's true. It can be, you know, it can be that, that thing where you do pause and you take each other and there's not much said. Maybe there's walking around each other and a physical, a small physical offer or standing behind somebody while they talk and listening to them. The stage picture is already there and the audience, you know, you know, you remember the audience is watching that guy down front talk or that gal down front talking, making something happen. And your response to it is the, the coda points, all the little things. And right. the less you do, the more you listen and the more you let them affect you, the better improvised drama comedy well, the more whatever compelling better, it is certainly. more compelling yeah and and i think that the majority of actors don't know that they're downstage center yeah steve kieran yeah steve kieran is amazing right uh, kieran is amazing at doing that stuff right and he's such an amazing physical actor right you know he'll 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 you know he'll you can have him do you know drink something five different times right and on on it, he's drinking from a ceramic cup. He's drinking from a hot mug. He's a Chicago cop. He's drinking from a plastic cup. And he's a and he's a guy at an AA meeting. Right. You know, he's you know he's a kid sipping out of a big gulp, and it's all so specific, and it's all it's all mini playlets within seconds. Absolutely, he's just phenomenal. Absolutely, and I think that, and for me, I watch him, and I think he's not doing that to impress me. Dude. He's doing that because he fucking loves to do yes. it. Yes. And he loves to, and to watch an actor or a teacher or an improviser or a human or a clerk at fucking pavilions love what you know who you doing. are. You know who you are, and I'm so sorry. To, he loves uh, like, you. At that moment, to, like, to watch them love what it is that they're doing, I'm going to watch you, and I'm going to say, I know what you're doing. You're having fun right now. You're living your life. You're having a fucking great time. And Kieran is a great, exam a great example. Yeah, he's a Proops prime example. Proops is another great example Proops is in his element now as a raconteur, and as a, as a, he can spin the stories, make, make, them, make sense out of them, right. give, them a, give them a political or a social connotation, right. all the while he's drinking a big tumbler of vodka. <laughs> Seriously, just, yeah, literally. Yeah, you yeah, think it's like yeah, water. Yeah. No, it's not. It's I like I love vodka so much. God he's damn, I love just vodka. phenomenal. He's, right. You know, I've known Greg got since 1980. Mm -hmm. We went to school together. So watching him develop into this masterful American raconteur, which and that's the other thing about improv, and and it's all open up, and it comes from you guys from Chicago now to be a storyteller, a monologist, right. to just two of you to do the drama, whatever. It's all it's all blown up. And whose line was sort of like the welcome mat? It certainly was. It was a welcome on TV, act. right? And it, everybody it introduced people to that. Yes, and that's fin and that's good. No matter right. what you know, you think about it in hindsight, uh, or, or what whatever, you think or, about or, it. Or in exactly. Hindsight. Thank you. No right. shit. Right. No shit. It's right. true. Uh, it's been a blessing to that idea. And, and Greg has grabbed a hold of it and made it really wonderful. Well, I look at Greg, I look at Brad Sherwood, I look at yeah. all those people, Colin. you know, like Colin, and I write all those people, um, uh, Wayne Brady, yes. and Jonathan Mangum. And yeah. then I look at what, so you're on, did I get this right, that you are you, that you are now going to work a, a main stage with Impro Theater, is that? Yeah, I'll doing be doing, that? I'll be when they're, because they're, uh, they're coming, I can't even, can't say where it is yet, because it's, a, they, they, they want to wait till mid-June. Uh -huh. um, but, 
yeah, I'm doing, I'll do a main stage with Impro Theater. Right. And then I tour with Paul Merton from in Britain and do the thing called Impro Chums. So it's a couple of us knew each other from Who's Line. Right. And Paul's huge there. He's like Seinfeld. Uh-huh. And so we tour the UK and Europe. Right. And, uh... That's usually well. We don't we can't do it in Amsterdam anymore. We used to end up in Amsterdam, which was a lot. Why of fun. can't you do it in Amsterdam? Well, for and have the fun we used to have because you're visiting. You can't, you can't uh, work. You can't light up anymore. Oh, oh, there. yeah. You have to have. You have to live there. Right. You know. Right. And it was a lot of fun to go there and right. go. You know, wow, just that some just guy. happened. Yeah, that just happened. And I know. Go, like, I directed two shows this in What's this stuff? It's called Swiss cheese. Right. You're kidding me. It opens up. God, it does. It smells like Swiss cheese. Yeah. Right. And, oh no, know, I loved it there. I loved it there. And fundamentals. Fucking fundamentals ruined it for everybody. The fundamentals ruin it for everything. Again, those fuckers ruin it for everything. Really, the name is No Fundamentals because they have no fun. Right. They're just dementalists. They're just mentalists. They're just reducing Yo, it you're down. not fundamental. You're dementals. Yeah, you're dementalists, right? 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 There's Absolutely. a bumper sticker for you. Um, I, like all that, all that, all that unfolding and furling, evolving, the evolution of who it is that we are. And anytime that any artist says, I don't know who it is that I am, I don't know what it is that I'm doing, I don't know. And it's like, just slow down, dude, and just be right here right yeah. now because your answers are going to be answered. Your, I'm sorry, your questions are going to be answered. Your answers right. aren't going to be answered because their answers are ready. Why are you answering an answer? Stop it. Um, but it's like qu- Alan Watts before the fifth drink kicks in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't even... So, I mean, and I believe that the Dharma Circle... What's your name, darling? <laughs> Anne, come back and visit me, my ashram leader. Um, all that stuff is just so... Because none of us... And I mentioned this a lot in the podcast. None of us thought we'd be here. No. I never thought I'd be in L.A. When I was in Kansas, definitely not. And I never thought I'd be in London either. I've been very lucky. Your work in London and the fact that you're on, uh, that you are, an, you're, a, you're, a, you're, a, you're a bad guy on Doctor Who? You I'm doing a long line. are fucking like getting boners? I don't want to think about that. I just got, I did this musical in the West End where I played Louis B. Mayer. So I got to play like a really awful, with a middle European dialect. And I got a patter song. It was fantastic. Reading about him, reading about God, the Jews in Hollywood, the Gabler book, yeah. and Empire of Their Own. What an amazing that book That book is called Empire of Their Own? Empire of Their Own. Yeah. Uh-huh. And just the track it lays uh-huh. about. You know, the power and the fear. Power and fear going Uh hand in hand. And the front, but not even like a fake front, a front that they created, Lemley and them and the Warrens, all those people created, which now, you know, there's another book, I can't remember the title, where it talks about the essence of that is here, even Mm -hmm. though the the media is owned by conglomerates, that when you arrive here and you work here, you're supposed to have the car and the house and Bel Air and everything. It's the front. And then you like put that in a box and go visit the corporate execs in Des Moines and are like, how come we don't, we're not getting more points to sell more Con Angler product? And you're like, oh, they don't know. You know. And then you come back here and make everybody's life miserable because you've had your ass bent over it's the barrel. It's so crazy how that doesn't have anything to do with art. Nothing. Nothing to do. And I think that a lot of people are coming out here. A, a big thing for me was to say, and I mentioned this on the podcast before, to go, oh, I'm not here to struggle. I'm not on this earth to struggle. I'm not on, the, on this earth to be an artist. And I'm trying to fit into this, this business that I don't want to really be in. Yeah, that's a big part for me. Yeah, and then you then you go, what next? Then, if that's the case, you go, what next do is you, usually, do you just give up. Well, can't, no, but I, the, the what next is always the wrong question. Oh, uh, how so? The question is what now, uh, because the now is what I have right now, and the next is really based upon the now. what do I have now? And and when I look at that, I go, okay, fine. When all that other shit dried up, whatever, all the, the, the hundreds of thousands of dollars I'm going to make on that commercial work dried up, right. I stopped and I went, what is it that I have? 
what is it that I have? And what I had was, and this is what brought me here, my love of improvisation, my love of teaching, my desire to change people's lives. Now, at that time, there was no such thing as a podcast. Who, what is that even, what would that mean? Right. You know, but now there is that, and this led me to that. Not that I make any money on this, not that Ian makes any money on this, and everybody's trying to figure out how to monetize this, except for three people on the planet. But the question isn't what's next. The question is what's now. Yeah. And those people are going, oh my God, what's next? <laughs> there is no such thing as next. That's be that, that, yeah, all I can say is yes. That's really cool. I, can I say something? Nobody's here seeing his, I'm in his flat. I'm in this guy's house. Mm -hmm. And he has got his artwork, his collage work. And I love collage work. Um, and it's amazing collage work. And so this, Dave, David has lived in the present as a creative entity so thoroughly. And I mean, this is all beautiful stuff. Thank you. Not just like, you know, a good idea stuff. Good, <laughs> fundamentally good stuff. And that makes me really, it makes me feel happy to be an artist when I go into people's houses like this. There was a guy I grew up with in Kansas, and I know what happened to him. His name is Danny Nipmeyer. And uh, growing up in Kansas, you meet a lot of different people, and a lot of people are the same. And there were these two artists. And one guy, his dad, he was sort of a, a, a well-to-do. His dad was a doctor. His mom was a charming alcoholic hostess. Mm -hmm. And him and his, his That's brother. That's a business card. It is. That's charming alcoholic, charming hostess. alcoholic hostess. She was really a lovely lady. And they were very well-mannered. And they lived in a part of, of Kansas City, which was semi-posh. His dad collected Arkham House Library. You know, August Derelith, Robert E. Howard, H.P. Lovecraft. Uh -huh. He was a surgeon, I think. or And... And both the brothers, one was a guitar player, and I, he was in the same year as me. But his brother, who was younger, who was uh, sort of a raconteur and an author, almost like, you know, uh, 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 a young sort of George Plimpton-y sort of guy, very, in, in his own way very posh, um, he started a magazine. He asked me to write for it. And he was a nice guy. I think he was unconsciously patronizing, as I realized later. But he was a patronizing guy. He was a nice guy, but patronizing. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, now he's gone on to a career on the East Coast. I think he went to one of the big schools. Mm -hmm. And now he's like a, an editor for, you know, uh, high-end, you know, people like Michael Chabon and things like that. Uh -huh. High-end authors. And the I'm other reading, guy... I'm reading Wonder Boys right now, by the uh, way. Yeah. Michael Chabon. Keep and going. so the other guy... Uh, Danny Nipmeyer, who, I, if you hear him, if you're here, please get in touch with me if you're alive. His, he lived in the divorced parents' apartment buildings across the freeway. Mm -hmm. And he was like long, tall Jewish kid mm -hmm. with a big schnoz, huge, huge bucket of like red Jufro hair, mm -hmm. long trench coat, mm -hmm. was like diffident and like inward looking. And I, would, I liked him because he would draw these weird poster images. And I went, because I draw. And uh, I went over to his house. And his mother was this big, zofted Greenwich Village mama with the turtleneck and the wavy black hair, like Alice Kaminsky, with the big lips. And she goes, here, have some moo tea. Here, enjoy this. It's made of 17 herbs from the, uh, from the ancient civilization, which is probably known as Atlantis. And he, she had, like, collage work and Salvador Dali and Lothramont's Chance de Maldoror and all this kind of stuff on her table. And then I go up to his room, and he did no drugs ever. And he had three... TAC tape recorders, reel-to-reels, and he would run a mic outside his window and record, record street noise, and then he would take stuff off the radio, record that on the second one, and then he would mix voice tracks and mix them all on the third one and make his own dubs. This is 1972, 71, 72. And 
so I was very lucky to meet these two, and both of them are artists in their own right, mm -hmm. Chris and, and Danny. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't know which one I wanted to be. Right. You know, and, and sometimes I think Hollywood makes you think you're the guy on the left. Right. The proper, the the one who's got, you know, the the Rolodex full of interesting literary names. Right. And they go have long lunches with locally sourced beef that's been choked with a silk scarf to the to the tunes of Elgar. That's really nice. You know, thank you. That's exactly. Right, right. No pain. No pain. And then and then the other guy is this guy who makes his own art. Right. Who just says, fuck it, I gotta make something right. happen. And you remind me of him. Yeah. Oh, great. I see your stuff. Right. And it's always he always will always be the guy who inspires me. I think the idea of the, the idea of he makes something happen. You don't yeah. have a choice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like I didn't. What, what the fuck is that? What is that? I don't know what that is. You know, that's just something where I put a bunch of things together, and that yeah. took me a year to do. That collage took me a year to fucking do because I had the elements, but I uh -huh. didn't know that they had to be put together in that way. Right. You know, and to, to look at uh, the way that uh, uh, the woman bo bottom left. Yeah. You see how that's cut? Yeah. And you see the, 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 the way the map is right there? Yeah. I didn't, I took that, I cut that picture out a, a year and a half before I put it in there. Look how perfectly it fits it in that box. Ups. You know what I mean? Like yeah. to look at all the things are going, everything will happen in the time that it happens. All that I have to do is leave it up the fuck alone yeah. and to be grateful. And again, it's the, the idea of replace ambition with gratefulness. To take the idea of I am glad to have what it is that I have and whatever I don't have, I don't need. I got nothing to say after that. Well, then let's end. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Rozowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on ADD Comedy, you can visit our website at www.theaddcomedytour.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at ADD Comedy Pod. If you're in the Los Angeles area and you're interested in taking a class with Dave, you can find that information at his website at www.davidrozowski.com. Sound services for the ADD Comedy Podcast was brought to you by Post Apocalyptic.